Welcome back or welcome, welcome. My name is Michelle. I'm Kelly. My name is Kayleen. My name is Jada Wright. This is Annie. I'm Kelsey. And today we're going to step into our power for 40 minutes. Today's class is here for you to learn more about your body and its alignment. And everything's flowing beautifully. Love this. Oh, now it's time for my favorite exercise. We're going to go into mermaid. This workout will have you glistening, sparkling, and sweating. So let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Flexia Talks. My name is Kayleen and I'm the founder and CEO of Flexia. And I'm Kelly. I'm the head of content here at Flexia. So here at Flexia Talks, we're diving into all things Pilates culture, including trends, celebrity gossip, movement tips, stories from the studio, and more. And today we're kicking off a short segment on Pilates lore. So, Kelly, we called this something unique because of this segment. What yes. does it mean? What does this title, peanut butter and jelly or jam, what does that mean? So, background story on how we got to this title. Kayleen and I are driving in the car. Uh, you know, we're filming new classes and we're talking about this podcast and we're talking about the different episodes and what we want to call things and the segments we want to do. And I... I don't even know how it came to my brain, but I we started talking about, oh, we need to do an episode on contemporary versus classical Pilates. And I thought, yeah, just like jelly and jam. And Kayleen's face at first was like, what? And I was like, you know, like jelly and jam, peanut butter and jelly and jam. There's like people, what's the difference between jelly and jam? And then you were like, yeah, that's super funny. Let's do that. So like, that's kind of how we got to this title. So I'm going to explain to you, in case you don't know the difference between jelly and jam, which is a side note to this podcast, but jelly is made from strained fruit juice. There's no pieces of fruit in jelly, but jam is made from mashed fruit. My point being is that peanut butter's partner, whatever it is, whether you're a jelly or a jam person comes from the same source. It's just a different combination of that source that then partners perfectly with your peanut butter. So we're going to dive into now the difference between classical and contemporary Pilates. So one of the things that is important to note, we're going to do a tiny bit of history here, very broad strokes, which is Joe Pilates taught in his studio with Clara Pilates. Um, his wife, and they worked with a bunch of different people. And there are a handful of them that we consider Pilates elders, um, that they worked with Joe and so can then pass on things that Joe directly taught them. So people like Romana, Kathy Grant, Ron Fletcher, Lolita San Miguel, Mary Bowen, Robert Fitzgerald, Eve Gentry, Jay Grimes, Bruce King, Corolla Trier. Most of them, if not all of them, were dancers. And um, there's a big debate, at least in the Pilates instructor world, about classical versus contemporary. And people can get very dogmatic, very almost tribal about what they practice and what they believe. So classical Pilates is really based on what we know Joe taught for sure in his studio. So specific exercises, specific orders of exercises on 
equipment that uses the same dimensions that he taught on. And sometimes with the same spring settings and cues that Joe taught. And that is honoring, in many cases, that Joe was the genius creator and he knows best. And who are we to change what he taught? We know what he taught works anecdotally, so don't change it. On the other side, there's contemporary, which says, okay, well, Joe actually taught to these six principles. And we can actually adapt the equipment a little bit to fit different bodies. We can adapt the spring weights to fit different abilities. We can adapt the moves to fit different conditions and the person in front of us. And that allows us to reach more people. And turns out it works pretty well. Um, The problem is then you start to see, well, are you drifting too far away from the principles of Pilates and what Joe believed and taught. And that's really the kind of the experience of the Legree method with the megaformer is they used to say they were Pilates and they got a lot of shtick for it. And now they actually say we're not Pilates. And, you know, even though they're on a reformer like device doing, you know, Pilates like movements, it's a totally different intention in that classroom. And so when you look at the Pilates world, there's the term classical, there's the term contemporary, the experience does overlap. It's like a Venn diagram, those two circles that sort of overlap a little bit on each side. And and it's not a binary division. It's not a clear-cut division between classical and contemporary. There are shades of each. And Um, depending on where you go, you're going to get a slightly different flavor of Pilates. But I think the important thing here is that we, all of us are working with some jam or jelly version of Pilates (laughs) because every single one of those elders added their own flavor to what they worked with on Joe. And if you remember that book Caged Lion that we mentioned in episode one, that's a nice example of a little bit more on the Romana story and how um, she's often considered the most classical um, Pilates lineage, but even she developed um, some of her own style from Joe. And um, so there's a lot of debate about is classical, do we keep it exactly the way Joe taught it and never change it versus contemporary, which is starting to get a little more creative with choreography, maybe uh, adding in some science from the physical therapy world, um, taking some other somatic practices, bringing it in. What we here at Flexia teach in our studio, we're, we're pretty solidly in that contemporary bucket with some classical leaning. We got to get, you know, I love some of the classical teachings and I would love for our students to be able to experience that. Um, obviously, we don't have a truly classical Pilates machine, but that's another debate. And um, we do have some hit classes to get your heart rate up and really push you a little bit harder. So so we're kind of there in the middle. I think it's really interesting to think about where we've come from and what the history of Pilates is. And that's actually kind of a contentious uh, and debated subject. Um, even the book Caged Lion had some people come out and say, well, that's not true. Um, and there are a couple of 
um, interesting legal actions in Pilates history that have really been important or are important in what we know and can share about where Pilates as a method originated from. Because remember, Joe Pilates called his method contrology. He didn't call it Pilates. Right. Um, So I wanted to give a shout out to two places that you can learn more about this stuff. Right now, there is um, a lawsuit going on. It was covered in the New New York Times. And basically, there is a person out there who bought the estate of Joe Pilates and is now claiming copyright on a lot of images that other Pilates teachers are sharing, even though, well, it's debatable whether he actually owns the copyright or not, but he's successfully getting them taken down and causing all of this havoc in the Pilates world. Um, And there's a whole big gap in um, his attribution methods and things like that. So um, the Pilates Transparency Project is on Instagram and they're fighting this lawsuit on behalf of a few people specifically, but as an industry, it's really important for us to know where Pilates came from. And if there are materials out there that should be shared and are are in the public domain, we need them to be available to us so we can learn. Um, You can also, along those lines, see a lot of Pilates history at open underscore access underscore Pilates underscore archives on Instagram. (laughs) Sharing a lot of Pilates history um, there too, which recently um, they had some beautiful artwork, which I think you can actually buy on Etsy through the Pilates transparency project to support that effort. So, so anyway, that that's the current history that's actually happening right now which is all part of this I you know idea of who owns Pilates and the information and the history and what actually is the history right so what i find is that most people who come into the studio who are doing pilates that are not instructors they really don't know all that they know about contemporary and Uh, classical Pilates is basically what their instructor tells them. So I always say that this debate is really strong among instructors and schools of thought in Pilates. And people who enjoy Pilates are more so curious about what the difference is rather than which one is right and which one is wrong. And so that's not, we're not here to say that any way classic or contemporary is right or wrong. I think that they both have a place in in movement and in Pilates. And that's the reason why we titled this, you know, Jelly or Jam. But it's a it's great for people who take Pilates to just kind of have an idea about what the differences are. And maybe you want to try classical and th- you're not uh you're not um what's the word like betraying your contemporary teachers by trying classical or vice versa, right? There's no morality involved in doing one or the other. Uh, this is just uh, just the differences. There's just some some basic differences, including, you know, classical is usually all the same spring tension, whereas contemporary has different springs. That's not always the case, but typically your classical reformer will have all of the same spring setting. So 
if you're used to a contemporary reformer, you'll have different colors, which represent different uh, intensity levels of your springs. So different tensions. Also, the straps and the handles typically differ. Uh, classical machines tend to use a lot of leather, um, metal handles. It's They're just slightly a different way to do the exercise. I am contemporary trained, as Kayleen, you are as well, right? And I had the opportunity to work on Grotz uh, classical machines. And it was really cool. It was really cool to feel what I had learned in contemporary Pilates and apply it in a classical setting. It was really cool to feel the difference. So I definitely think that there's a really cool way to experience both forms of the practice um, and hold space for both things. Yeah, I think you mentioned, um, you know, the spring weights. I, f I particularly find classical to be a little bit rigid. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a huge, um, a hugely important theory and practice to know about no matter what school of thought or training you're, you're going to actually undertake. But for me, the equipment, uh, the equipment comes back to me to the equipment, right? I'm a, the very mechanical person. And, and I found that some of the angles and geometry and, and feelings were very, they, they didn't feel good in the mm. way that ropes with loops felt versus leather straps and handles. And, and that's not to say it's bad. It is a preference. And, you know, going further, that means that, so when you have your straps, your leather straps anchored low, it changes how low you can make your legs and feet and straps. And especially if you're a larger person with a bigger belly, you start to actually hit your body with the straps. So I found that classical equipment was not um, as flexible or ad adaptive to the populations I was working with. That mm -hmm. said, I think there is, depending on who you study with, some really amazing theory about how the equipment should interact with the body based on those classical dimensions. And so I, I have mad respect for classical teachers. I just want to see, I want to see us all play a little nicer with each other. <laughs> oh, I still agree. So it's really interesting because the... Uh, everybody has a slightly different argument for what Pilates is, what is a part of the Pilates repertoire and what isn't. And is there an order, right? There's a classical order of 34 mat exercises. There's a book, Joe Pilates wrote it down, um, which is great for us. Um, but so much of that is, um, you know, oral history. And in fact, you know, back in the late 90s, there was another lawsuit that was really important in the Pilates world um, with the same gentleman, uh, incidentally, who bought many things from Joe Pilates' estate and then claimed that Pilates was a trademark term. And yeah, and Ken Endelman and, and Balanced Body fought to make Pilates a generic fitness name um, and eventually succeeded. So in 2000, the courts ruled that Pilates is a generic fitness method and it's not trademarked. And so all of the studios that existed 
were free to call what they taught Pilates at that point and not uh, not be able to be punished or sued by um, this gentleman who claimed he owned owned the name. And that really led to the opening up of, hey, what we're doing is called Pilates. Like this is a this is a way we move our body. And and huge credit to to Balance Body for taking on the burden, right? That the Pilates Transparency Project today has a GoFundMe because it is expensive to fight these battles. Yeah. For the right to use some of these things. And and Balance Body did that in 2000. I went through a 500 hour comprehensive certification for a contemporary training. And even in contemporary training, there is a push to be able to achieve the repertoire without using tools to help you get there. And a story that's really near and dear to my heart is that I had been training for a year to get my certification. And (laughs) you've heard us joke about my roll-up abilities. But it was really a struggle for me to do the roll-up. And if you're listening to this and you do Matt Pilates and you you really struggle with the roll-up, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It's a difficult, difficult exercise. What Can you explain briefly what it looks like to people who may yeah. not know my name? Yes. So the roll-up is when we're laying on our backs on the mat, uh, typically. We'll go with the mat exercise version of the roll-up. And you bring your arms up, then you're lifting the upper body, and you're trying to bring that spine into what we call a C-curve. So you're rolling the upper body up to that seated position and ultimately finding you know your hands are parallel with your legs, right? And then you slowly roll it all the way down. So if you've ever done a a sit-up with your legs straight, essentially, and you don't use momentum to get there, you're using all control in order to achieve that sit-up position, that is the easiest way I can describe what a roll-up in the Pilates world is. And I, when I went through my certification process, I had had three C-sections. I have a very high lower arch in my back. And I could not feel my lower abdominals, just had no feeling. It was numb uh, from all the times that had the, you know, the incision was made. And then my pelvic floor was really, really weak. So I trained for a year and I did all the cues. I mean, all the cues, you know, squeeze your, you know, uh, your traps down your back, squeeze a magic circle to get up, you know, do all these things with your arms, reach forward, tilt your pelvis, push your pelvis forward, all these things, right? And I just could not get up. I would get to my mid-back and then it was like, breaks. So it became now a mental game for me. So every time I went to go practice it, which was nearly every single day, my brain would automatically say, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get there. It's too hard for you. And I remember absorbing that mental head game every time I would try to do the roll up. And my mentor at the time noticed the struggle and the stress I was under just to get this one exercise. And she provided a tool for me to use, which brought the ground up and met me where I was. So she put a towel underneath, a small towel underneath my low back. And with all of the practice in the classical roll-up, with all of the practice that I'm doing, all the cues that I had loaded up in the queue in my head ready to go, 
I was able to do the actual roll up with that small towel underneath my low back. And what that meant was that my body was able to feel the roll up for what it felt like for my body. And now I know. I didn't know what it was supposed to feel like in my body before then. And now I knew because the ground came up to meet me where I was, now I knew what it was supposed to feel like. And so it was a few weeks of training both with the small towel and without the small towel. And then eventually I was able to do it without the small towel. Now, if I stop, I haven't been practicing the roll up very often. So I I guarantee you it's just probably a struggle for me right now if I were to do it. But the beautiful thing that contemporary Pilates gave me was this ability to meet me where I was and get me to where I needed to go. So if I was going to say anything about contemporary Pilates, it would be that. I wish we had footage of uh, one of our film events a few months ago where Kelly was going to be my model. And and I said, okay, you're going to start with a roll up into a squat. And she was like, uh, and we, and we bantered back and forth and kind of play, we had to play around with different ways for your body, for it to work for your body that day. And you were determined like, and I was like, well, we can use another model or whatever. And you're like, no, I can do it. And we just experimented a little bit. And I think in the video, we even showed a towel, right? So yeah, um, absolutely. It is, that is a normal thing. And that's when we talk about every human is built a little bit differently and uh, moves a little bit differently and what success and, and beauty looks for that person and their movement is a little bit different. But coming back to, you know, classical contemporary, they all the the whole point of pilates no matter what ver- what what vision you have or are being taught of it it's based on these six principles centering concentration control precision breathing flow now i said that really fast it's not a test you don't have to remember them but that's what it comes back to right when you talk about the jelly versus jam this is the strawberry these are the strawberries right whether you mash them or chop them up or juice them, like they, it all starts from the strawberries. And those six principles are what guide us in, as teachers in what we teach and the cues we use and how we want to evaluate what you're doing on the reformer. And those are really how we come back as a company, Flexia, and think about what we're doing here, how we're measuring and capturing data to help you get better at those six aspects of your Pilates practice. So I think that's a great transition from this segment on classical contemporary into, hey, actually, what do, do either of those have any data? Yeah. Do any of those have any data? Uh, Now they do. Thanks to Flexia. <laughs> so quick nerd, quick nerd moment. Pilates, all, you know, classical contemporary, high intensity like Legree uses springs or, or even resistance bands on some of those other machines. But generally that is, you don't even know how much weight you're moving because nerd moment, uh, spring tension changes the further you stretch the spring. 
So you're stuck with memorizing what a color approximately is. You know, we've kind of got this term of full spring, half spring, one and a half, you know, but it's not standard. And it's really hard to say, oh, my God, I did a bridge on, you know, two springs instead of three springs today. And that whole how you talk about your achievements in Pilates is really, really difficult. There's no language other than, hey, I figured out how to do a roll-up today to describe and and then record so you can come back and be like, I'm making progress. That doesn't exist in Pilates. And that's something that I wanted to do with Flexia and, and for the broader community is how do we translate the feel of Pilates into data? Yeah, so that- Kool-Aid. Right, we call it the cool it. Yeah, we call it the. I I like to say that at Flexia we're we're showing what's in the Kool Aid, right? Because if you've done Pilates for a while, you just know that you feel better. You can't quant you can't quantify exactly what it is that's making you feel better, other than it's this kind of Pilates umbrella. We get to see what you're actually doing in numbers and in data, which has not been done before. Yeah, uh, I love it. I love it. And it's, um, I think it's presumptuous to say like, we're coming into this and going, this is the metric that matters. There are some other other, um, theories out there about, well, you care about time under tension or you care about body weight or, you know, all of these arguments we're looking at and going, what do we care about? Let's write an algorithm, see what we get, and does the data support it? Does this mm-hmm. actually make sense? And then does it make a difference with, m- with many people in many instances? We're, we're moving out of the anecdotal evidence and into statistical significance. And I think that's really cool. And I, I want to share as much as we can with the community because Pilates has never had that before. It it changes the way we can talk about how we teach and what we expect. And, and I don't want to get into this now, but I think that's really important when we start talking about where Pilates fits in fitness and rehab and science and how we study it and how we broaden its impact on the world. And that language to talk about it has to move beyond, he said, she said, observational anecdotal evidence. And the technology we're building here can help with that. But that said, we have a particular analogy for the way that we look at, for the way that we look at what we build in Pilates and how we look at movement. And the image we use is a house. You've probably heard there's a good YouTube video out there, a blog post. Um, You can see me explain it in other terms, but basically we're looking at a foundation, a frame, and a roof that make up the Pilates house. And this really comes, is another way to look at these six principles and how do they layer on top of each other? Because the six principles don't have any and the way I was taught in my training, there's no hierarchy. There's no prioritization. There's no do this, then that. That is like your teacher might tell you that or your teacher might not tell you that or you discover it through trial and error with your clients. And I think that's a really important component of defining where do we start 
the instruction. And the, the house is really important. The foundation has to be solid and level before you can build the frame of the house. If you don't have a good foundation, the frame could be straight, but it might be sitting really crooked. <laughs> or it might just fall down because it doesn't have the right attachments to the root of or the earth. And the roof is only good. It only does its job if the frame and the foundation are solid. There's no point in building a roof if there isn't a frame and a foundation. It's just sitting right. there on the ground protecting nothing, right, from the rain. So, so, so we have this, these are, you know, that's the, the image I want people to have in their mind for where we're taking inputs from the Pilates experience and how we translate them and then where we're going to go, hint, hint, as we grow. Yeah, I'm super excited. And I think our community is really excited. They've started, they've been using the Flexi Reformer and the technology for a while now. And it's incredibly exciting to see them post about what we what we call the MQS score, which is your movement quality score, um, and how well they did. And it allows them to experience, wow, I, I felt that. I, I did well. I felt that. I felt that or that was really hard and I could see that in my end result. So it gives people a new insight who don't automatically feel it out the gate. Sure. I, I want to give I want to tell a quick story. Um, I was giving a talk this week to um, a bunch of investors and uh, friends and I used the example of, you know, you have a great Pilates session or yoga session even or bar and you're like leaving the studio feeling tall and energized, strong, ready for the day. Your teacher has said like, hey, great job today. You know, you're all happy and like pumped. And then you look down at your Apple watch and you're like, I only burn 120 calories in 55 minutes. And then you're like scrolling through your fitness tracker and it's like Pilates, Pilates, run, run, strength, strength, Pilates, Pilates. And you can really clearly see, oh, my mile pace improved or I PR'd on my back squat. And then you click on your Pilates activity and it still says 120 calories, 55 minutes. And yeah. I used that story and someone came up to me afterwards and she said, I have been doing Pilates for 11 years. I love it. I don't do anything else. It is like, it keeps my body together. I, my husband has been doing it with me now. Like, and it is always nagged on my mind that people try and say, oh, you can burn 600 calories an hour for, you know, whatever. And when I come out of a session, it's literally what you said. What the heck? And it totally deflates my sense of purpose. I can't linger on it because it doesn't correlate with what I feel. Yeah. And, and that is so true because Pilates is not cardio. Might have some cardio aspects to it. But ultimately, the magic of Pilates, the progress in Pilates cannot be measured with any traditional fitness metrics. It needs its own language. And that's the a language needs some roots to grow from. And that's where that Pilates house analogy comes from. That was a beautiful story. 
No. <laughs> I loved that. I love that because it's so true. And it I think that a lot of listeners are going to resonate with that story and be like, yeah, why does my fitness watch not correspond to how I feel when I walk out of class? And it's it's exactly that. And you know what I eventually stopped doing was I stopped recording in my fitness apps when I did Pilates because it didn't reflect how it made me feel. And so then you feel like it you didn't accomplish anything. And in, in, intuitively, you know that that's not true, but it doesn't make you feel good to have it on your fitness tracker and have that information be ignored. An hour later, a week later, when you go back and you scroll through all of those entries in your fitness log and you're going Pilates, 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 you don't remember if it was a good session if it, or if it was bad. You don't remember what you did well. You don't remember what you did bad. And sometimes it's even hard to convince yourself you've made any progress at all. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. You, you're, when you're in the moment, it's one thing. But when you're trying to be reflective and go, hey, I, I'm, I'm lacking motivation today. I really need to get to the studio. Look at my streak. And that streak is just this flat line of I showed up, which, by the way, is amazing. Counts. But that next <laughs> level of... I'm going to get the most out of this. What do I, what happens when I show up mm -hmm. is totally missing. And yeah. that, that is, and, and I think it's a test, frankly, I think it's a testament to Pilates to how much people love and are committed to it without right. all of those typical metrics right. in, the, in the lexicon. <laughs> Yeah. And as we talked to, we talked about there's, I mean, not that celebrities are, you know, the end all be all of experts, <laughs> but I'm just saying to have such a wide platform and to not have that kind of information and to still tout its benefits, it's an amazing movement modality. And anybody who does it and I, that I know of, most people feel hooked right off the bat. Yeah. It's a, it's a, oh, wow, I get it, you know? And as teachers, what I enjoy the most and reflecting back on my roll-up story is when I see that moment in my clients where they've been working really hard to achieve something and they nail it or they, or they get into it, it, there's something so satisfying about achieving that in Pilates, and uh, and it looks different for everyone. That doesn't mean that your your, your teaser looks exactly like you know Kelsey. If you have Kel, you know if you've been on our platform, you've seen Kelsey, and she's an, we have amazing instructors. But if you've been if you've been on our platform and you see like let's take Kelsey for example, she hits a very stereotypical position of a teaser. And my teaser does not look like that, but it doesn't mean that I'm not doing the teaser. It's it's about activating the muscles, feeling it in your body, and feeling that success in how that feels in your body. And that is the success of doing the teaser. It's not supposed to look a very particular way, you know? So Well, I, I yeah. think that's that's a really interesting thing you say because I think a lot of Pilates teachers would argue, and a lot of people in the fitness world argue about how things look or should yeah. look. And really, we've talked, we've mentioned this before, like the way things should look are heavily biased toward thin white bodies. 
who have been yes. usually doing this for years or, you know, have, have a certain aesthetic that is the, the status quo. So when, when you and I are teaching as a, as a teacher, we, the way that we help our students get into these different kinds of movements and really feel Pilates actually happens in an order. And that's, we're going to come back to that Pilates house theory and think about, okay, what's the foundation in Pilates? The foundation is movement. So I got to make sure that my client understands the basic task that I'm asking them to do in footwork, bending and straightening your legs. Okay. I can't give any other feedback on their form or their breath until they understand the basic movement. Once they understand that basic movement, now I can tweak it and I can, and I can go, okay, straighten your legs all the way or keep neutral spine or whatever else we might footwork is a very basic example. Um, and then once we've tweaked that, we can add more input and maybe say, check on your breath. Okay. You've been breathing, but now try this tweak with your breath. And those layers build on each other, like a foundation, a frame and a roof do. There's no point in talking about breath. If they don't understand, they're supposed to be bending and straightening their legs and literally moving the carriage all the way in and all the way out every time. Right. They're not coming all the way in every time. I don't, don't tell them about breath. That's, right. that's just confusing. You're building on a, a shaky foundation, right? Absolutely. And this, and I think this is a, a, a true story that people find doing Pilates in group classes a lot of times, and even maybe in private sessions with their instructor, is they, f the instructor is maybe partial to one type of, you know, importance out of those principles. And because there's not a foundation laid, the student becomes incredibly frustrated, right? Because they're not understanding the breath pattern or they're not understanding the movement and it becomes too much instruction all at once. And yeah. it can discourage people from, for, from wanting to try Pilates or stick with it or thinking it's too difficult for them. So building that foundation matters. And that's why I always tell people, and uh, I always tell people, and I can honestly say this, I always tell people, I'm going to give you a few breath cues, but if your brain is like, I can't handle another single thing, don't worry about it. I always say that. I always, I always say, just, just breathe. If gonna, there's, if you can't hit the breath cues, just breathe. Right. Right. And so you know, we actually have a great blog post on the Flexia blog about building your Pilates house, on a similar topic. Um, and, and you're in and how you do that in your own practice. That came from how we think about the model of our technology and where the root of what we're creating starts. And what is what's the order you build in? And actually, Kelly, there's a uh, Kelly recently posted a great outtake in the Flexia community. She was the model for Jada Ray's, one of Jada Ray's classes. And uh, Kelly, I'll let you share what happened. <laughs> yeah. So if you've done the jump board or you've done jump board exercises, it can be, it's a challenge. There's a lot going on. You're, you're moving in space and uh, you're what we call moon jumping, or that's what Jada Ray likes to call it is moon jumping. 
And she's having me do what essentially is a jumping jack lying down, right? My arms are moving, my legs are moving, and I'm doing everything, you know, in synchronicity. It's all going out at the same time. And then she decides to change it up where my arms got to move at a different rate than my legs. And you literally see my brain like time out in the middle of the the change in cues and i just started laughing both of us <laughs> there's this part this is my favorite part of the outtake and she's like oh boy <laughs> because because my body just did couldn't it just my brain couldn't go with my body and it happens to instructors too so if you ever feel like you felt out of sync with an exercise it happens to all of us so it's it's a really great outtake. If you get it, if you're in the community, if you're not in the community, you should get in there and take a look. It's pretty funny. It it is really funny, and it's a great example of if I had told Kelly to breathe a little deeper, that wouldn't have changed where her arms went. <laughs> no, it would not have been achieved. No. Yeah. Oh, well, I think that covers the Pilates house. We've talked a lot about classical and contemporary Pilates. We'll drop some links in the show notes so you can check out some of those resources um, and accounts that we mentioned. But I think we'll leave it there for today. Yeah. Jelly or jam, Kayleen? Strawberries. No. <laughs> I can pick strawberries, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you're going to eat strawberries with your peanut butter. <laughs> Come on. Well, I mean, if we're talking about whether we want the juice or the mashed up, like, I, I don't care. I want the essence is the strawberry, Kelly. Uh, oh, all right. All right. Well, I want to know what listeners think. Jelly or jam? Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, everyone. We'll see you next time. If you're ready to embark on your Pilates journey, go to FlexiaPilates.com to learn more about Flexia's award-winning online studio, innovative technology, and professional-grade smart Pilates reformer. With over 150 classes and new ones added every week, it's easy to find the workout that fits your life. Paired with our innovative technology that gives you real-time feedback and tracks your progress, your Pilates experience will be totally transformed. Once again, that's FlexiaPilates.com to learn more. Happy reforming!